Welcome back. This week we'll take some of the events up about the Civil War itself. Again, we will not be looking at the entire war, but just a few aspects of it that led to the changes in our society and government, which was the war's purpose to begin with. We will concentrate on the northern part because the North won, and thus had a profound effect on the future of the United States. The South was guilty of having members of the conspiracy promoting war, but their influence became negligible once the war was over, with a few exceptions. The future of the country would be decided in the North. Let us use this week to demonstrate how much influence the conspiracy had on the War Department. The hierarchy of the War Department was controlled by the Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, a mean and vile man. A few years before the war, Stanton was the lead attorney in a major patent violation case. The man who was suing called in Lincoln to work as part of the legal team, and Stanton refused to allow him on the team of attorneys and was very insulting to Lincoln. No one seems to know why. Stanton was on the state's rights cabinet of President Buchanan as Attorney General, and is another example of a northerner who had no problem supporting secession until it occurred and then became a radical Republican Unionist and was able to get Lincoln's appointment as Secretary of War. Stanton was a very disturbed man. As a young man, Stanton fell in love with the daughter of the owner of the boarding house where he lived. After Stanton left early for work one day, the girl came down with and died suddenly of cholera, and they buried her immediately, as was the custom at the time, to stop the spread of cholera. When Stanton got home, he could not believe she was dead and dug her up to make sure. Years later, his own daughter died, and after a year, he dug her up and placed her in his living room in a metal coffin. Subsequently, his wife died, and he laid her out in the living room as well dressing and undressing her in her wedding gown for some time. He would lay her sleeping gown and cap on the bed by his side every night. After weeks, his friends convinced him to finally bury the two together. Incidentally, Stanton's brother was insane and had committed suicide by cutting his own throat. All in all, a very strange background to Stanton and his family. Again, Stanton hated Lincoln. And this extended back some years at a personal level to such an extent that it makes one wonder what forces were used on Lincoln to appoint Stanton as Secretary of War. The open disrespect for Lincoln and the assaults directed at Lincoln by Stanton is well documented in our book. Considering that Stanton hated Lincoln and disrespected him in public, it is very strange that Lincoln appointed him as Secretary of War. One has to wonder what power put Stanton in place. Perhaps a major clue is when Stanton was confirmed before the Senate, the communist senator, Charles Sumner, referred to Stanton as one of us. One of Stanton's undersecretaries of war appointed by Lincoln was Charles Dana, a well-known communist leader. Dana was a co-founder of the American Union of Associations, which had established nearly 50 communist communes across America. He worked on the editorial staff with Horace Greeley of the New York Tribune and was sent by Greeley to Europe to pay in gold the communist writers they employed, such as Karl Marx and Heinrich Bernstein. Marx wrote approximately 500 articles for the Tribune. While in Europe, Dana participated in the communist revolution in Germany in 1848. 
I don't think we need to lay out any more about Dana. You get the general idea. As a result of Stanton, Lincoln, Dana, and others in the War Department, over 118 foreign-born generals were breveted into the Union Army, most of them radical socialists, at best. Let us give you a few examples. There was Gustav Paul Clauseret, who became the friend of Karl Marx and later referred to as the Red General during the Paris Commune of 1871, a vicious communist affair where they were even killing priests simply because they were clergy. There was Frederick Onneke, a close associate of Marx and Engels, a well-known communist revolutionary in Germany. And Joseph Wedemeyer, a founder of the First Internationale. It was in his home where Karl Marx stayed while fleeing out of Germany. When Wedemeyer first came to the United States, he started a German-language newspaper called Die Revolution in 1852, the name of which he soon changed to Reform. He started the American Workers' League, which had a secret military arm before the Civil War. Another was Karl Schurz, a young communist revolutionary who ended up under the direct command of the Carbonari leader Mazzini. He was sent to America by Mazzini, where he was propelled into prominence in Wisconsin and the Republican Party, first serving under Lincoln as our ambassador to Spain before becoming a major general in the Union Army. These are just a few of the Union generals of the type which never occurred within the Confederate Army. Believe me, these are only a handful of many we document in our book. Perhaps the worst American-born general who was openly involved in communist activity was William Burney, who had participated in the Communist Paris Uprising in 1848. After the war, he became an attorney for the District of Columbia. One of the most bizarre incidences of the thinking of Lincoln and the War Department was the attempt by Lincoln to recruit Giuseppe Garibaldi as the leader of the Union Army, or at least the head of a corps. There is some historical confusion about what exactly was offered. Garibaldi was the military leader of the Carbonari in Europe. He was decidedly an international socialist. His ego was huge, and he apparently got away with killing his wife. He hated Christianity, particularly the Catholic Church, to a level that made those close to him very uncomfortable. Garibaldi lived in America for a time before his rise to huge international fame. There is some evidence that he actually became an American citizen. Late in life, he was made the Grand Master of the Grand Orient of Italy, the Illuminated Masonic Order. There is much, much more of this man's life that fits into the conspiracy. What we marvel at is the idea that Lincoln entertained appointing this man, if not to the head of the Union Army, into a very important position. From what we can determine, Garibaldi's ego got in the way and they could not come to terms. The infusion of radicals into the officer corps of the Federal Army was a stain on the honor of the corps and remained a problem for many years after the war. Such was the condition of the War Department in the North, things I'm sure you never heard of before, and there is much more in the book along the same lines. Next week, we will discuss what came out of the Civil War.